The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily of ausleisure.com.au. This podcast covers the subject of alcohol consumption and as such is aimed at adults, although it does not contain any subject matter that would be offensive to children. Ausleisure.com.au and all participants remind our listeners that alcohol should always be consumed responsibly. It's a fine time to have a drink. Maybe with some mates for a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money. Let's be pleasure seekers, honey. And let's check the grapevine for advice. Oh, yes, indeed. A frosty beverage might be what you really need. Will it be red or white? Which way to go at all looks good tonight? Let's check the grapevine for advice. Hi. This is Richard McGuire from ausleisure.com.au And you're listening to the Ausleisure Grapevine podcast with Greg Nicholson from Doc's Liquor. Greg's a highly experienced and much respected retailer and former vintner from Victoria. And we'll be discussing the current trends in wine and beer, new products and techniques, along with some tips for buying, choosing and storing wines and beers. So, pour yourself a large one, sit back and relax as we take you on a wine and beer journey. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ausleisure Grapevine. I'm Richard McGuire and again I am with Greg from Doc's Liquor. Hello Greg. Hi Richard, how are you? Very nice well, to see you again. Yeah, and you, how have you been? Oh, very well, yeah. It's good. Well, now, um, what are you going to talk to us about today? Well, I thought after our last session, which we were so very technically involved in wine making and wine, and I thought we might lighten up a little bit and it's coming around towards the end of the year now and I thought we might talk about Christmas and what we'd like to drink for Christmas and also some of the traditional Christmas drinks that come around and, yeah. and which ways we can actually conduct our Christmas dinners and the, 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 either the cheap or the expensive way and I thought I'd give you some recommendations on some different new products that have come in Lovely. as well and uh, yep. we should be able to not have a good Christmas for everybody. Excellent. Uh, so, um, what I thought we'd start off with, I know we did get very technical last time, we were talking about winemaking process. Part of the winemaking process that we didn't include was uh, champagne or sparkling wines. Uh, myself, I'm absolutely fascinated with champagne and sparklings and have been for a number of years. And I thought we might just briefly touch over how champagne is made and mm. I thought I'd talk a little bit about the history of champagne itself because of the fascination of the place um, and then I'll, I'll talk about some of the champagnes on the market. So we've got uh, basically three methods that they use when they create champagne. The one we're going to concentrate on today is the traditional French method. It's called methyl traditional. It's the only process that the French actually use now, there's three grapes that go into making up champagne. There's Pinot Noir, Pinot Meuneur, and Chardonnay. Now, Chardonnay, of course, we know is a white grape. Yeah. Pinot Meuneur is a black grape, and Pinot Noir is a, a red, black grape. And we always see champagne comes out in a beer, white juice. Mm-hmm. And how this is created is by not having skin contact with the actual grape when they press the grape so that you're not getting the, the red colours coming through the grape. So they get rid of the skin? Yeah, they, they, they press the grape so that only the juice comes out 
but you're not getting the colouring yeah. coming through. So then you just pick up those light colours. Now, where you get something like a rosé in a champagne, then you'll get some skin contact, and that's where you can get those pinkish colours coming through. Yeah. So, a la Carrington Blush, which is a you know, famous, cheap, straight Australian <laughs> sparkling, um, right through to something like uh, Moet Rosé, which is more expensive, but still using the same sort of process. Um, we have very strict laws within France itself within who can produce champagne and what they call appellation de contrôle, which is the, um, the processes and only certain places that can produce champagne in certain regions that we'll talk about that in a minute. But the actual process itself is fairly simple. They take a, a cuvee or a blend and will blend from these three base grapes. As I said, most French use the three grapes. A lot of the Australian processes now are just Pinot and Chardonnay together because of the derisive fruit flavours that come through. Mm. And the French tend to, by putting in the three grapes, you tend to get a bit more complexity within the wine. And I think we actually talked about this when we were talking about Chandon. These guys are real scientists and they sit there for hours <laughs> blending these different base grapes together. Mm from flat wines before they produce them into sparkling wines. The champagne itself has always really been a flat wine and it wasn't until um, the 1800s that they started to discover the bubbles in the wine or the secondary fermentation which created champagne mm. and that kick-started it. And for years, everyone has always turned around and associated Dom Perignon with being the the inventor of champagne, which is actually not true. Oh, uh, uh, Dom Perignon developed champagne and he actually spent many years trying to get bubbles out of wine because champagne originally was, as I said, it was all flat and it was a flat white wine and it wasn't even considered that good. They were shipping a lot of the wine to England and during the shipping periods and also the storage periods after the winter, the um, summer would kick in and we'd start a secondary fermentation and that's where the sparkling came from. And there's been a lot of theories about when it was actually created. So I think the paperwork or the documentation that they had, which was around 1857, around Don Perignon's time, English to actually turned around and said, we invented champagne, produced paperwork from 1853. Yeah. So years earlier, they had stated that they actually created it. But I think it was it was really the French at the end of the day that created <laughs> it through, through discovery. Um, what the English did do, though, was created better bottles, which were stronger, mm. so that the bottles didn't explode as much because they, they were using standard wine bottles. Twenty-four psi in a bottle, which is a, a, virtually a car tire yeah. pressure, and a lot of the champagne they made just virtually blew apart after six months because of the exerted pressure, and um, so they, they created better bottling, better muzzling systems, and this allowed uh, the French to go on and develop better systems, and then of course over the years the, mm. uh, the thing became 
famous because it, all of a sudden people started to drink champagne and all around the world there was great demand for it. And so that's where it all started. So, um, yeah, after they've, they've done all the basic blending, then they they put everything together in what's called garage, which is a mixture of the um, base wine, sugar and the yeast and put them in the heavy bottles. They put a crown seal on top, like a beer bottle, mm. and um, then they leave the, the bottle for secondary fermentation, which is also called entriage, and this is where they turn the bottle upside down and put it into a rack, and it produces the um, carbon dioxide, the um, alcohol volume rises, the content, and the longer the fermentation takes, um, the more that they, they get the yeast cells, which we talked about before, that come down into the neck of the bottle. And um, this is usually caught into a little plastic plug. And then what they do is turn the, the, the bottle is hand, used to be hand turned, it's all done by the machine, although in France now traditionally they still mm. hand turn it. And then what they do is they turn the bottle up they pop the crown seal off the top, they, they freeze it in a little bit of brine before they pop it, and they pop it, the plug comes out, the dead yeast cells come out, and then they top it up with what's called expedition liqueur, which is just the final dosage of just a bit of sweetness, mm. and then they put the cork in and the muzzle at the wire, and yeah, there's your bottle of champagne produced. And I think we again we were talking last time about your visit to Chandon and uh, the, the wines like the ZD, the Zero Dosage, which they just keep the crown seal. They don't put the um, cork on there at all. They don't put any expedition liquid, it, so it's virtually bone dry. Yeah, um, has a sparkling when it comes out. The terms of champagne and sparkling. Now very definitive in Australia. Back in the 1990s, we had a lot of the generic terms in Australia disappeared out of the market. So we used to have Bordeaux and Claret and Champagne, Burgundy, and all these sorts of styles. Mm. They've all disappeared off the market now, as far as Australian labels go. And at the time, like everyone else, I saw thought. Well, these arrogant French doing, and um, it's actually been a great boon to Australia because it's clarified the Australian market and what we're drinking. Yeah. So we're no longer drinking a claret, which is a mixture of Cab Merlot or Cab Shiraz or whatever, um, and we're no longer drinking what we call champagne because it's Australian sparkling wine. So in reality. The places that we're sourcing the product from is its true location, and that's we know that that's what we're getting. That's yeah. what we're actually drinking. So it may have increased prices in some ways, uh, but again, I think at least you know what you've got and, and what's there. And uh, um, I'd certainly like to be drinking something that I know is a, a genuine product. If I really want something outstanding. Um, then yeah, that's the way to go. And um, as far as champagne itself goes, the uh, history of the the region is just absolutely fascinating. 
can see why over the years how hard they have fought to keep product alive in one region. It's a passion for them. It's their, their family's history, their life's history, and they've had so many different countries cramming through the back corner of um, Italy and France and, and Germany and just coming through up into the Champagne region because they only be made within, uh, my fingers are right, 54 degrees longitude, 57 degrees latitude within the region of Champagne itself. And the two main towns, which are Reims and Epinay, and everything comes out of there and those surrounding areas. And they've even had civil wars in the 1800s because of the secondary regions um, not being considered good enough to produce um, class one or grant proof rapes within the region. So most of the, the top end stuff from all the famous houses like Orangeur and Bollinger and um, all these places have been around that region area. And some of the smaller producers from down a little bit further south haven't been considered or aren't considered within the Appalachian control they've gone to war and actually ransacked the, the regions and had their own civil wars within. And then, of course, the world wars came along and absolutely decimated the place, mm. um, in particular the First World War. And the region of Champagne endured 10,000 consecutive nights of bombing, and yet they still produced a 1914 vintage, a and the winemaker or the vigneron from the Champagne regions around there went around and picked out the grapes out of the trenches with the dead soldiers around. Um, I think one of the most famous ones were Paul Roger and were right on the border on the edge and he actually made a and went out with donkeys in the mustard gas with the bombs going off <laughs> and still came back with grapes. And they produced, and, and they still say to this day, one of the greatest ever vintages as far <laughs> as flavour goes. Um, but of course, the, 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 everyone uh, ransacked the, all the, uh, the crayers, the salads, which mm. are underneath, because uh, a lot of the champagne region built on um, chalk cellars, which yeah. the Romans actually dug under the, under the earth. Yeah. The chalk was very soft and they hid a lot of champagne under there. They hid cars under there. They, <laughs> they put everything in there. Uh, but of course, the, the soldiers eventually found it. And, and even in the end, they ended up giving the French soldiers just whatever. But um, for years, they, they fought to protect the industry. Within the Second World War, the same thing happened again. They got ransacked and they set up uh, different marshalling control points. And all the German wanted out of the whole region was the Champagne. They just wanted to control the Champagne market. Mm. And uh, so you can see, look, after so much history and fighting and 
deserve to be able to hold the name Champagne and, and be able to yeah, proudly display it. And, um, yeah, so it was quite fascinating to to uh, read about all that and learn about that. I think it's an amazing uh, background to have for any region. Uh, a wine in particular. And is there an optimum temperature that it should be drunk at? Oh, uh, most white wines, um, between 10 to 17 degrees. In Australia, we tend to drink things a lot colder than mm. normal, which is just typical us. I think it's going to be cold. Um, but I think yeah, 15 to 17 is too bad, as long as you just keep in touch with the core ambient temperature outside. Or like that. Yeah. You just, if it's too cold, it's going to kill the flavour. Mm. Um, and if it's too hot, it's so yeah, as long as you've got the um, coolness to keep the fruit alive, mm. then it should be should be fine. It's um, something that's just a personal pleasure, and it does white wines and champagne warm up very very quickly in wine. So yeah, once you get them outside, about three minutes, and it's going to rise as well. So just got to drink faster. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Um, so the, the things I think at the end of the day is um, Christmas time now is coming around, and of course we all like to drink various and different things at Christmas and socially. Yeah, you know, it's a yeah, well it's a it's a time where everyone loves to get together and yeah. catch up with friends. And, um, I suppose the big thing is what budget do we do it on? And, uh, how much do we spend? And who's actually back in the party and yeah. things like that. So there's a number of different ways we can go and uh, um, depending on who's, who's doing what or who's paying what. I mean, always with us, because I'm the wine person in the family, I always end up bringing wine over, so we can get a wide and varied selection of whatever. But it's, again, goes back to what you enjoy. So it doesn't have to be extravagant or expensive, it just has to be something that will cater and um, please all your guests and um, something that you're happy with and you haven't necessarily spent a fortune but you haven't been bottled out of your dollar at the same time. So I think the best best bet is depending on the size of your actual function is to try and look at a cross base of products mm. and I would have Sparkling or champagne, depending on what we'll do, we'll try and uh, simulate both sides of the story either a, a rich and a, a poor oh, sort of scenario. Um, so, yeah, definitely like something based product. Um, you can either go into a lot of good stuff around 10 to $15 for wine, um, things like Fawn Clark, sparkling. Um, Berge, all these sort of wines around that fifteen to even twenty dollar mark. But again, depending on the numbers, if you want to go a little bit more on uh, capacity, but a little bit cheaper, great products around like even Jacobs Creek and uh, um, Dunes, which is a new one on the market, which is quite good. Um, around that twelve to fourteen dollar mark, don't have to spend a fortune. It pleases everybody, and then. You just again look at your market, cater for the ladies, always have your bubble for your kickoff. 
the start of the event. And then you'll need some white wines, uh, particularly with our hot Christmases. So things like Sauvignon Blanc are very popular nowadays, easy to drink in summer. Um, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris are new on the market. We've talked about those this year. So again, perhaps just get a little mixture of everything. You know, please as your whole party because you've got at least something there that someone is going to enjoy along the line. That if someone doesn't like that one, they've got to drink Chardonnay. If someone doesn't drink Chardonnay, they might like Pinot Gris or a Viognier or something. Introduce them to something drinking wise. And a couple of ice buckets dotted around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a summer, some water and stuff. Keep them cool. Keep them cool. Um, and then the same with your red wines. Have a little bit of a mixture. A bit of Merlot, a bit of Shiraz. Bit of cabs have the big thing nowadays is blends. A lot of people are drinking Grenache Shiraz, Shiraz Macaros, yeah, some of the Italian styles we've talked about, Sangiovese, like that. So you go out and buy a box of mixed things that at least you can open up a whole heap of different stuff. People can try it and enjoy it and mm -hmm. say, That's a great wine, I really like that. And they'll tend to sit on that wine. Someone else might like it, but they'll have a Merlot or, yeah. you know, traditional Shiraz or yeah. So just, yeah, have a, a base cover of everything to uh, see you through the day and you should get through plenty of beers, of course, <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, and even some sticky styles like um, dessert wines, mm. uh, which, again, don't have to be terribly expensive, but you can chill them down. Great with the puddings and the desserts yeah. and um, $10 to $15 dessert wines are fairly common nowadays. And I think that's a fairly good rounded out Christmas drink. And again, as I said, size wise, it just depends on your catering size. Yeah. And if you wanted to go really top end, um, then I would start off with champagne. And there's just a number of stuff you can get out there. Um, my suggestion would be maybe jump off of the wet wagon and uh, try something a little bit different. Try some Bollinger or Verve or mm. uh, Paul Roger or something a little bit left of centre that you might not have tried before. If you want to go absolutely top end, Dom Perignon or Crook, um, about $200 a bottle. Um, depends again how intimate your Christmas is. Um, and then again, um, open up a, a big white, you know, get something like a Giaconda, um, $60, $70 for Chardonnay. Um, get a big red, like an almond rye, $120. Um, and then finish it off with either a big sticky or if you can afford it, a shadowy candle for $400. Um, that's sort of going at a top end, but mm. that's, that's giving you two ends of the scale. So it just depends on, yeah. on intimacy and how much you want to spend. And, you know, and if you want to get uh, alcoholically wise out of your Christmas. Um, <laughs> wise words indeed. <laughs> so, or you can mix and match. Yeah. So, yeah. so that would be a, a 
Yeah, a few different ways to do things. Yes. And of course, if, um, if 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 people out there need to maybe drop you a line, just ask you a few questions. It's the uh, normal email address. You have to send away on the normal email address and at uh, rockball and at yahoo.com.au or uh, you can send through Oz Legend. Um, uh, we, we have it up, Craigvine at oddsatledger.com.au. Yep. So now, Greg, uh, it's time for you to recommend a couple of wines for us today. All right. Well, I thought we'll, again, stay with our Christmas theme and I'll stay with the champagne theme and I thought we might look at a few really outstanding champagnes. Um, not cheap. These are in the expensive class, but uh, well and truly worth it at the end of the day. The first recommendation is Renard which I think I have mentioned before, it's the oldest champagne house in France. Mm. There's only three champagnes that they make. There's one called the Renault in Lee, which is a more vintage, which is a blend. It's $100 a bottle, but magnificent. I really class this as one of those value for money wines that's never even though it's near. Uh, it's really well put together and stands up well and truly above a lot of the other base wines around that money on the market. Yeah. Big name wines there as well. So they also make the Blanc de Blancs, which is 100% Chardonnay, mm. which is quite classy, very refined, has a lot of fruit flavour. Uh, probably a step above the MV as well. And uh, that's about $120 a bottle, and they also do a rosé, which is about $120 as well. Um, I'm a bit of a rosé nutter. I think it's one of the best rosés I've had besides Dom Perignon rosé, which a bottle. Uh, but yeah, fascinatingly good wine. Yeah. Um, my next recommendation is Bollinger Randomine, which is about $195 a bottle. Uh, again, very, very high class, so well put together, uh, just intense flavours, lovely nutty, brioche um, toast, uh, has everything in there. So uh, I know it's big dollars, but it's if you want something, very well worth the money. Yeah. Um, my last two recommendations, Tom Perignon itself, uh, I don't think I've had a bad vintage of it. Uh, we were just talking about it last night with a friend and we were talking about truly great drinking experiences and I remember before I actually was right back into the wine industry, my wife dragged a bottle of 1976 Dom out for my birthday, which I didn't even know what it was at the time and we've been virtually Australian wines um, for a number of years and weren't sure of what they were. <laughs> and she'd had a lake at the bottom of the cupboard for about 10 years, and I really consider that one of the highlights of my life of drinking wine. It was just magnificent. Um, and the last one is Cook. And again, when you try topping Cook, and again, we're talking $200, $80. Um, that's fascinating. <laughs> uh, I, 
I've said it many times, they're expensive wines, but you have to step outside the square sometime mm. and say, let's try something completely different. Let's not worry about the money. Life's too short, let's enjoy it. And if you want to enjoy something, take the time to do it once in your lifetime and uh, really enjoy because it's uh, um, without being wine wanky, it's fascinating to try something with that depth and that character and, and say that was a true wine that I've just drunk. Well, I hope to try some of those one day, but you should do it. I do think I should. <laughs> you should. Well, wise words as always from Greg. Docs Liquor. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you very much. And to all our listeners, uh, we hope you have a fabulous Christmas and a wonderful New Year, and we'll see you early January. Yeah, have a great New Year, everyone. We're uh, going to wind up for this year. Uh, and we had a few technical problems last month, which slowed us down a little bit. But uh, um, yeah, we've, we've really enjoyed doing the podcast this year, and we hope yeah, you've enjoyed great fun. listening. And, yeah. uh, Hope everyone has a, a really good Christmas and uh, have a drink with us. Indeed. Cheers. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for this episode. Our thanks go to Greg and everyone at Docs Liquor. If you would like to contact Docs directly, they have stores in Bullman North and Ringwood North, both in Victoria. You can call them on 03 9859 or 03-9879-9200. And please be sure to tell them that Greg sent you. Docs also have a blog with all of the latest news and information. You can find that at docslicker.bigblog.com.au. Oslo's a grapevine is published every month. So, if you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the feed through iTunes and others. Full details on how to do that, as well as the topics covered in this episode, contact details, past episodes and notes on future episodes can be found at www.osleisure.com.au forward slash grapevine. If you have any comments on the show or suggestions for future shows, then please send us an email to grapevine at osleisure.com.au. We want to produce the content that you want to hear. Thanks for listening. This is Richard Maguire for osleisure.com.au, your guide to Australian holiday and leisure activities. Until next time, see you later. It's a fine time to have a drink Maybe with some mates For a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money Let's be pleasure seekers, honey And let's check the grapevine for advice Oh yes, indeed A frosty beverage might be what you really need Will it be red or white? Which way to go at all looks good tonight Let's check the grapevine for advice